I'm Daniel Scarpinato. My friends call me Scarp. I've been blessed to have a really great career in journalism, media, and politics. Along the way, I've become friends and, I would say, frenemies with some of the most interesting people. Some of them are famous, some infamous, and some completely unknown. We're turning on the mics now to discuss people, politics, and, well, pretty much everything else. So please sit back, relax, grab a drink, jump on the treadmill, whatever. Please enjoy the show. Well, welcome to another episode of Scarf and Friends. And it's getting really into campaign season. I mean, early ballots will drop in a few days here in Arizona. And um, everybody's getting hit up uh, from all sides, the mail, the TV. And this was something, Blake, that uh, caught my eye um, that that somebody posted. This is a candidate, I think, running, I want to say it's in Kentucky. And uh, this guy, his name is Chubby Ray (laughs) Perkins, which um, has a ring to it. He's running for mayor of Jefferson Town. His slogan is trusted fiscally trusted fiscally responsible leadership hometown values and he must own a restaurant because included on his his uh political mailer here is a coupon for a dollar off burgers and subs and two dollars off large pizzas at chubby rays on ruckle ridge parkway um this was something different Blake, to actually get people's attention. Well, he has some real meaty policies to go into. But I mean, this pizza is just loaded here. It kind of makes me wonder if, if our statewide candidates were giving out coupons to a place. Mm. What, would, what would they be giving coupons? At? Like, what would Katie Hobbs' coupon be to? <laughs> oh, God. Well, I don't know. We want to go there. <laughs> um, uh that that is interesting. Well, I I, uh, <laughs> I think that um, Chubby Ray has a real shot here, and um, and speaking of food, we had some folks in town this week from Hungary, <laughs> of all places, um, the country, and they were uh, a great group, really smart folks who were here studying American politics. They're involved in politics in Hungary, and they were really interested in the political landscape in the U.S. and what it's like to work in a swing state and to uh, run and work on an election that's really close. And uh, they had a lot of great questions. Michael on my team put together this uh, really interesting presentation. that looked at the state, and um, I mean, this even kind of surprised me because I hadn't looked at these numbers in a while. In 2002, uh, Republicans made up 42% of the state, Democrats 36%, and 20%, 21% were independents. And then you flash forward 20 years later till today, and you've got Republicans at 34, other at 37 or 33.7 and Democrats at about 31. So you've had the independents overtake the the Democrats and are almost actually pretty close to being tied with Republicans. And so you've just seen so much change in the last 20 years 
all the growth. I don't think we've gone the way of Colorado and some of these other places just yet, even though for, you know, 20 years now, the Democrats are saying we're going to become a blue state. We're going to become a blue state. We've talked about this. I still think we are a red state, uh, maybe not as red as we used to be. But the fact of the matter is, um, look at what's happening on the Senate race, which has tightened. And Mark Kelly seems to have a ceiling. And we've talked about, you know, he's spending unlimited resources and uh, and he's still struggling to just close this thing down. So it's pretty interesting. Yeah. And I'm I'm not convinced that Blake Masters is out of it. I still I'm still very bullish on Blake. Uh, just because I, I think we've seen all we have from Mark Kelly, and it's just going to be more of the same from here to the end. Um, He's in it. Blake's yeah. in the race. I think it is actually, yeah. uh, it is competitive. It's very competitive. Well, and if that doesn't prove that we're a red state where, you know, Mark Kelly's spending more money than God and Blake uh, isn't spending nearly as much, and yet it keeps getting closer and closer. I think it's, you know, after a, a tough Republican primary, it feels like, all the elephants are coming home to roost. Well, and it's funny because, and, and you know, uh, this maybe is a little bit like Chubby Ray Perkins. The, the, I saw somebody posted the other day something from the U of A campus, and I'm a former editor-in-chief of the Arizona Daily Wildcat when I was in college, and the Daily Wildcat has all these advertising things around campus where they sell advertising and somebody tweeted like mark kelly has bought all of those and and that to me was just like okay when you reach a certain point in terms of fundraising you run out of places to spend your money if now you're buying you know posters on the u of a campus and so um i think that he's reached a point where how could you possibly spend more money how could you possibly say something you haven't already said and yet the race is still competitive. So I do think that there's a real opening. I do think you're starting to see a, another shift in the environment happening, the political environment, because you're seeing gas prices go up. You got OPEC, you got all this stuff happening um, that I think is driving the economic anxiety back up to being a driving issue in this election. It always was but it had kind of fallen out of the news. So I think that will clarify for people what's at stake and who's been on what side of, of these issues. Well, and I know we talked about it a while back, but in my mind, every midterm cycle falls the same sort of roundabout way. You know, the, at the beginning, they're like, wow, the minority party is going to do really well this cycle. Oh, it's not looking so bad for Democrats. Oh, the Democrats are going to actually do really well. It's not going to be a wipeout. And then it inevitably becomes a wipeout because the same issues that were issues five months ago are still issues now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, the other thing that happens on these races are things you don't anticipate. October surprises, as they've been called. And we've seen those in some other states pop up. We haven't seen anything to that degree here. I do, th you know, and our next guest actually might have some thoughts on this when he joins us. But I almost wonder, you know, is can the October surprise have the impact it used to given the early voting? You know, okay, so something pops right now. I mean, I wonder if people have made up their minds and if the if the October surprise 
really makes the difference that it used to. You saw this in 2018 here when Kirsten Cinema was running at Kirsten Cinema, who who I've often called the most popular Republican in Arizona, and Kirsten Cinema. All these things came out, and I actually went back and looked. Uh, it was October 12th that of 2018 that uh, this clip came out of her calling Arizona the the meth lab of democracy. Um, and she had another comment where she said, you can't spell crazy without AZ. And everybody at the national level was like, oh my God, this is, this is uh, earth shattering. There's no way that Kirsten Cinema can win. It was too late. That stuff had to come out in like August or September because everyone had voted everyone had made up their mind the um the the race had been defined and uh, i just don't think it really mattered it was too little too late and i don't think some of these national people quite frankly have any clue about how these elections are conducted in arizona and they need to get their opposition research folks cranking things out a lot earlier than mid-october and as a designer for a lot of these things, I'm essentially done working by mm, October 25th. Mm-hmm. I basically have nothing. Everything's done. The mail's printed. The graphics are made. The digital stuff. There might be a couple last things, but my life becomes a lot easier by about October 25th. So I would say our election day is probably October 25th. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that's right. Well, um, We're going to be right back in a few minutes to talk to a smart young man who knows a lot about what's happening with the changing political winds in Arizona. We'll be right back. All right, and we are back, and I got a little bit of crap from our team here for uh, introducing our next guest as a smart young man, but you are a smart young man, and I'm getting old, so you seem... You seem like a young man, but I guess you're not. Landon Wall, who is with Alloy Analytics. Landon, welcome to the show. It's great to be here. (laughs) We're so happy to have you. And Landon is uh, a friend and a relatively new friend. We got to know each other after I left the governor's office about a year ago. And we've had the pleasure of working on a couple political projects together. And I've just been really impressed by your... Uh, knowledge and your uh, ability to look at data and uh, some new and different things you're doing as it relates to polling. And I just don't think there are a lot of people in the state that do this kind of work well. Um, And so it's been great to get to know you. Tell us about your firm, your work, and what you're working on. Yeah, well, thank you. That was a, a great intro. Uh, SCARP is a, a Arizona political institution. I've really enjoyed working with him on projects as a partner, uh, as a mentor. He comes at things from a way more personable, uh, human-based area than I do, where I'm coming at it from numbers and data. So we really do uh, meld super well on uh, some of these projects. I think you're very personable. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, Now, some of the stuff that that we do a bit different uh, is 
we've kind of looked at polling as a whole in 2016. We saw this massive miss in 2020. Mm -hmm. We saw a similar miss. And a lot of people in the industry just wrote off polling uh, as a whole. And at first, I was kind of on board with that. I was uh, on contract with many pollsters at the time that were providing us data for various campaigns. And at that time, I was looking at what we were paying them, how they were doing things, mm -hmm. and I was similarly disappointed. Um, however, I stepped back after a few months and really realized that this was a huge opportunity to take uh, polling, which has been around since in its modern for, in its modern form since the 1930s, and bring it in uh, to the modern era. So we looked around, and the first thing that I think I came from this, the, the view of everything around us has changed. The way we answer emails, the way we communicate, the way we speak to each other, the way we go to work, go to meetings. Everything has changed and has become more digital. The devices have changed that you interact with. Um, and the majority of pollsters in 2020 were still doing random digit dialing to live uh, with live call uh, mm -hmm. polls and uh, to landlines, typically they started adding in cells as recently as 2014, 2016. And that just shocked me. Um, so the way we looked at it is we started immediately adding in online panels, meeting people where they are, using their computers, creating referral systems and reward systems to encourage usage we started using SMS, so texting people mm -hmm. um, straight from the voter file, a very similar way that live callers would typically do it to landlines, but this would send it uh, to their phones, which have about a 95% open rate, a significantly higher survey rate than live phones at this point. Um, and we're also experimenting with some other things like mail, mailing QR codes, getting people to opt in to monthly surveys. Um, and even doing some of the old school things like door knocking, um, still mixing in live call at a lower level and doing it a bit differently. Well, I look, I got to tell you, I, I think that you've really hit on something here. The, I remember being at the NRCC in Washington, D.C. when Mitt Romney lost. And if you recall, all the polling was way off. Um, all, all across the board, everyone thought that was going to be a good year for Republicans, and it, and it really wasn't a very good year. And everyone was like, oh, maybe we should start calling cell phones. And it was like this earth-shattering revelation. And I think that we're now at that where I'm with you. I don't understand how... Uh, how are you going to get somebody to stay on the phone for 20 or 30 minutes and answer a series of questions in this day and age and expect that to be a representative sample of the average voter? Because I'm very interested in politics and work in it, and I get some of these calls, and I don't have the patience to sit through them. So who are these people who are sitting and answering these questions? I don't think that that is a representative sample of the electorate. Absolutely, and that is the biggest problem that pollsters are dealing with now that they dealt with in 2016 and 2020. The people that answer surveys are just flat out different than the yeah. average voter. And there 
are currently very few polling firms doing anything to adjust for this other than waiting by your traditional uh, college education was added in as a waiting method in 2016. After that miss, there's gender waiting, party waiting. So basically taking the people who did serve, who did take your survey and then changing the values of their answers to match a representative sample of the electorate. Now, the issue with that is that we are now dealing with a enthusiasm and political interest and intensity of interest in politics that you just can't wait for with traditional methods. So you have to start asking questions that are proxies for engagement in politics. Like what? One of the best ones that we saw that actually, if you backdate, if you backtest the polling from 2020, it erases almost all of the polling error is waiting by uh, their how many primary elections they vote in. We see that people who take polls are broadly oversampling. Uh, we're, we're broadly oversampling people that vote frequently in primaries, mm -hmm. which, as many of you know, uh, the people that vote in primary primaries are a very unusual and engaged sample of the electorate. So that's one method. The other method that we've been using is institutional trust. We realized in 16 and 20 that a lot of Trump respond, people that would typically respond that they were voting for Trump were not because they didn't trust pollsters. Uh -huh. And a proxy for that is institutional trust. And we have a, the, a uh, university in Illinois has been tracking institutional trust in a standardized format for decades, and we've it's been using probably that as a probably in the gutter, I would imagine. It's the lowest it's ever been, yeah. of course. Actually, on both sides, they just distrust. Republicans and Democrats distrust different organizations. Well, you know, I think that this is the next thing to fall. Uh, you've had, you've seen, you know, kind of the arm of the business that I spend more time in, which is in media and and messaging, and uh, that has now been turned on its head. We just had in August for the first time ever, the Nielsen uh, rating said that streaming exceeded cable and broadcast as the pre predominant uh, mechanism that people are receiving news and information, and. I don't think anyone in the industry really prepared themselves. This came out of nowhere. Um, it did, really didn't come out of nowhere. It's been happening for several cycles, but people were kind of ignoring it and just saying, oh, broadcast, 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 and at their, to their own peril. And I think this is the next shoe to drop. I think the polling has largely been wrong. It's been way off. And I don't think it's kept up with the time. So I think what you're doing is super interesting. Um, how is it going over with the more of the, I would say, the, uh, the dinosaurs in the industry? Um, I, I largely agree. I think every pollster is going to have to adapt in some form, and the ones that don't are just going to be left behind. Some clients, it's going to take a few more cycles for them to understand, but uh, as the quality of traditional pollsters' product uh, drops compared to uh, pollsters that are using multi-mode methods and some of these machine learning methods to wait via voter file, wait via likelihood to participate in a survey, these are 
uh, switches that are going to occur over the next decade. And we always joke that the business community and industry are always 10 years, 20 years ahead of politics. Right. They're already doing all of this. Um, so it's just a matter of time before politics catches up with the uh, big spenders on the corporate side of market research. Um, and when they do, I mean, the fact is, is a lot of these companies are just not going to be able to adapt. It takes um, a large technical skill set that is just not going to be there. And frankly, I think when you've been doing, when you've been running a business the same exact way since the 80s, since the 90s, um, it becomes extremely hard to pivot to something new. There's just, you have so much built up confidence and trust in something that is no longer working. Yeah, that it people don't a, want to admit they've been wrong. Yes. So, and that's one thing. I've never met a pollster who's willing to say, oh, oops, this was wrong. Because um, you get two polls back and one is way off, one is way different than the other. But let me ask you this. Why are you interested in politics? What interests you about it? Um, I always wanted to do something with numbers. I was a finance major and I wanted to go into equity research. There was always something about uh, doing research and, and analytics that just scratched an itch in my brain. It's basically like high level puzzle, uh, like a high level problem solving or just a uh, puzzle that can be very lucrative and break into different careers. Um, I didn't, I had very little interest in politics actually when I was coming out of college. I. Uh, had a chance to work on an internship and very quickly found that uh, they were basically storing all of their data in spreadsheets uh, in various places and it just seemed so archaic or so mm -hmm. behind what I was doing um, in equity research that my first thing was just starting to tackle some of this spreadsheet building and basic analysis of the data that they had and that really just opened up this huge opportunity of doing some of that data analytics role for campaigns that needed it or hadn't even thought that they needed it. And three or four cycles ago, that felt like it was a long shot and it wasn't going to be uh, very lucrative for me. And then here we are four cycles later and pretty much every campaign is hyper-focused on micro-targeting, on the data that they're provided. They're asking better questions about polling, about who they're mailing to, who they're targeting on digital, things like that. So I think the aspect of politics that I like versus finance has always been that the numbers are tied to people rather mm -hmm. than faceless companies. Uh, and I just love being involved in this great process of American democracy. I think it's something that I'm very privileged to be involved with every day and being as close to it, to things that are really making a difference and you know, putting out polls that might change opinions of the public or policymakers, uh, that's an extremely privileged position to be in. What do you think is going to happen this cycle as it relates to early voting? Do you think that we'll still see large amounts of early voting? Will it increase, will it decrease given some of the anxiety about the last election? Um, what are your thoughts? What are you seeing? What do you, what, what, what's your sense? I think the primary, I think democratic behavior in the primary is a really good proxy for what we're probably going to see in the general, which is less than 5% of Democrats are gonna vote in person. Mm -hmm. uh, but a large amount, over 10%, are going to fill out an early ballot and walk it in. 
in the primary, what was interesting, in Maricopa County at least, there were comparable numbers between Democrats that filled out an early ballot and dropped it off in person uh, and Republicans doing the same. Uh, the massive difference is Republicans are going to vote actually in person on election day at a much higher rate, but mail-in voting is still going to dominate their, the conversation um, around mail-in voting. It has increased in-person voting a bit, but uh, even with rep among Republicans, we still think mail-in voting is going to be the prominent way that they vote. Now, when you, you're talking about data and targeting and et cetera, et cetera, you know, I remember the robocalls back in the day. And didn't they do something where you can't do a robocall to a cell phone or something now? They, they outlawed that because everybody was sick of that. And I almost wonder, is this the last cycle that you'll be able to text people, that you'll be able to upload the voter file into Facebook? Um, what do you think about that? Are we on the verge of big changes because... I just feel like people are getting so inundated. And I think if most people knew the level of targeting that is possible, they might actually be a little irked by it. So I do think that we are going towards a more broadcast, a much broader version of targeting on digital marketing in Two cycles ago or so, you could upload lists from the voter file to Google. You could upload it virtually to every profile. Um, you could do voter file targeting on Facebook. Facebook actually had these features inbuilt uh, in their platform. That has gone away. Every single year, the ability to target via digital ads has slowly waned. Um, and a lot of the massive platforms that people have moved to moved to on social media, uh, when I think of TikTok is the major one right now, you're not allowed to do political advertising on TikTok. Twitter has banned political advertising. And one of the biggest ones that we hear about in focus groups for people getting news is Nextdoor. Uh, and really? Nextdoor, yeah, it's very interesting. And there is no political advertising on Nextdoor either. Is it allowed? It is not allowed. Okay. You can advertise, but uh, political ads are explicitly banned. But I think we are, in the digital space, I think we are going towards a place where the, the targeting is much more restrictive. Yeah. Uh, and they're going to set guardrails on what you can target. But I don't think it necessarily makes data less valuable. I think one of the things that it's going to push to is watching uh, the having the ability to view what is impacting voters' opinions, what message is moving them, setting up systems to do that. Uh, typically, this would be a brand lift in marketing talk. Setting things like that up where you can track it off-platform uh, is going to become a necessity, and that makes polling and survey work uh, even more valuable than it is currently. Top issues in the state right now, cost of living, the economy, is that up there? Cost of living in the economy is number one for all of the uh, likely voters. When we look at Republicans, the border is mm -hmm. typically number one uh, with cost of living very close behind. When we look at Democrats, uh, the abortion issue is by mm -hmm. far the number one issue for them. Uh, and then independence, cost of living is number one. And that is closely followed or that is that is followed by uh, 
abortion and the border, um, specifically independent women. Abortion is the number one issue pretty much across every age group. You know, we were talking in the prior segment about this big shift. Even just over the last 20 years, we were looking at 2002, Republican 42%, Democrat 36 Independent 21. This is in the state of Arizona. Today, Republican 34.5, Democrat 30.9, other 33.7. Um, big changes. What do you think? You, do you think these trends will continue? Are we the next Colorado? Are we the next Florida? Uh, which direction do you think the state is headed in? I think the, the increase in partisanship nationwide has really caused people to become uh, disaffected by political parties. A lot of people are switching to independent, to being independents just out of spite of all of the politics. They mm -hmm. want to take a step back. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean they're less partisan. Um, and then what we're seeing now is our current expectations for this election are for of the people that turn out, 40% are going to be Republicans, about 34% are going to be Democrats, and 26% are going to be independents. And with the numbers you just said, you can probably tell that Republicans are actually overrepresented in terms of uh, re registration. Mm -hmm. There's a, there is an enthusiasm gap in this state with Republicans, even if they do have the same registration numbers as independents, and that seems sticky and something that's going to continue. And what it does is it, has, it gives Republicans a structural advantage, especially in midterm elections. Um, they have a six, we're expecting a 6% turnout advantage in Republicans, despite the registration being virtually tied. So at this point, it's hard to see um, Arizona becoming a blue state anytime soon in the next few cycles. Yeah, well, I got to say it is interesting when you look at the Democrats who actually win statewide, they're basically campaigning as Republicans. Um, I think Mitch McConnell said the other day that Kirsten Cinema was one of his the best person he's ever seen as a freshman. Uh, Mark Kelly, you know, we talked about that's obviously a competitive race, but he essentially took no positions on any issue when he ran last time, and now Katie Hobbs won't debate because she doesn't want to share her opinion. So I think that you're, you're seeing that Democrats who have a fighting chance, the best bet is raise a bunch of money, run big TV ads, and stay in the basement so that you don't have to actually share any real opinions. Would you agree with that assessment? <laughs> well, does the data back that up? <laughs> I, I think, it, I, I think from, from my perspective, what happens is when we look at 2020, uh, it, we see uh, McSally lose by 2%. But what, what's interesting is we see down ballot Republicans running for the state legislature win by 4% when you yeah. account for all of their votes. And what that tells me is that at the very root and at the very base of these voters is they want to vote for Republicans. Uh, you, some of them are just getting polarized by uh, national media. And when, when the national media can drag a Republican candidate into these negative uh, news cycles, 
as much as they did in 2020, for example, it really does cause some impacts. We see a massive vote split between the Republicans that get national news attention and the generic Republicans down ballot that most people only receive a mailer or two from. But there is, a, there is an inclination in Arizona voters to vote for Republicans. We are the land of Goldwater, so let's hope that that doesn't change. Well, I think, uh, Landon, you're adding a lot to the conversation here in Arizona. I think anyone who wants to win uh, should probably hire you. I think that any business that really wants to know what's happening in the state or any business group should uh, should hire you because I think that um, that uh, uh, you and your firm Alloy Analytics um, are adding a lot to the to the um, dialogue here and I just think you're doing it better than than anyone else in town and for that matter I think better than a lot of the national pollsters at the national level who are still doing 300 person sample sizes on landlines to people who, um, you know, how do we even know they're answering the phone? Um, so I, I just think this is a really valuable thing that you're doing this here in the state of Arizona. I think you're going to have a lot to work on because, the, as we talked about, the state uh, is going to have no lack of, of competitive races and campaigns. So appreciate you being here, and we... Look forward to more of your work. If people want to f learn more about you or see some of the, the uh, polling you've done, what, what's the best thing? Is it Twitter? Is it your website? Where should they go? They can go to uh, alloyanalytics.org or just follow me on Twitter at, at @landonwall, um, and you can reach me on any of these platforms, and I'm very quick to respond. Great. Well, thanks a lot, and thank you all for listening. Hey, it's Scarp. Thanks so much for tuning in. Please subscribe to listen to all of our new episodes.